Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Welcome to episode 48. I'm Cam Connor along with my son Chris. So we're back after a few months break. I guess our last episode we did that two hour slap shot movie which I enjoyed. So if you haven't listened to it yet and you have two hours to kill, uh, make sure you listen to episode 47. Sorry we've taken a break but with COVID and just different things in our life have happened. My daughter broke her collarbone. Uh, in Canada, COVID is seems to be a lot worse and behind uh, the United States and Australia and other countries. So we typically record these in person and we were trying to be safe and smart about it. We are going to talk about, unfortunately, Dad, quite a few teammates have passed away over the last few months that you wanted to share some memories about. But we were excited to bring up that tomorrow on A&E, there is a two-hour biography documentary on Roddy Piper. And so I believe it was maybe a year and a half ago, uh, the producers flew to Edmonton and they interviewed you for at least a couple hours. So do you have any memories of the that interview, what you talked about, and Let's see if you if they do if if you don't end up on the the cutting room floor, Dad. We'll see. Yeah. Tomorrow means April twenty fifth. Yes, a Sunday. And uh, if you do miss it, I think they'll have it on a few more times the following week as well. And yes, Chris, it is a documentary on my childhood lifelong friend Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, growing up, his name was Rod Toombs. And um, yes, a couple years ago, they actually planned to put this documentary out, but things got delayed for whatever reason, and uh, A&E and WWE decided to uh, do it this year, and and I'm looking forward to seeing it. And yes, they, uh, they flew all the way out from New Jersey, had a camera crew, and at my office where I worked, uh, we had a nice boardroom, we sat in there, and they asked me for... Two hours, just memories and questions about growing up with Rod. And, uh, you know, I've been around the media long enough that uh, I realize two hours doesn't mean that I'll get any airtime. It could mean I got 20 seconds. It could mean 10 minutes. Nobody knows. But the fact is, it's not really about me. It's about Rod. So I am looking forward to to seeing it myself. And, uh, again, if you miss it tomorrow... It'll be on again. And I, I always bring up that you got choked up at the end. So if there's one thing that you'll be included in, I think, is when you talk about him, him passing away. But let's hope that you you get a few uh, clips in because I know since he's passed, there's not that many people that know his childhood and his teenage years. And I know you shared some really good stories and some stories that you didn't even bring up on the podcast. So yeah. uh, we will we'll, we'll do another episode after. And hopefully we have some <laughs> some some things to say about your time and what you thought of, 
of the documentary. Yeah. You know, Chris, uh, as you know, I went to Rod's funeral. Uh, Rod was living in Portland, Oregon, spending most of his time in L.A. And so I flew down to Portland and I went to his funeral. And um, it was uh, it was fairly well attended by wrestlers. They happened to be in Portland, the WWE, for some matches. So they all came. And uh, I've never seen such big individuals wearing suits. I was standing behind some of the wrestlers, and I don't know their names, but the the back on them was, they were just huge, just huge. I know I was choked up at the funeral, and uh, there was a female wrestler, China, yes. who was sitting just in front of me, and she also was crying. She was, she was touched by the funeral, but uh, I know they called one gentleman up who was a lawyer, I believe, and he said, I'm Rod's best friend. I've known him for 20 years, and I'm just sitting in the back of the church thinking, well, my friend, I've known him for 45 years. And uh, I knew Rod before he could do anything for me or I could do anything for him. So it was a real friendship. And again, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the memories of Rod tomorrow. And since we haven't recorded an episode for a few months, I thought we'd get your thoughts on what this COVID season looks like to you with no fans or very few fans in the crowd. How, how are you finding the hockey so far? Well, you know, in a typical hockey year where you play your 82-84 games, I tend to watch most of the games the second half of the season. The first half of the year... There's a lot of kinks to be worked out, and the hockey isn't as entertaining. Um, there's a lot of games to go, so it doesn't mean so much the first half. And now with this shortened season of 52 games, it's kind of different. Um, you look at the standings from the different divisions, and um, you've got like a couple teams have played 49 games, and then you see some that have played only 40 games at the same time of the year. And so I'm not sure if they're going to be able to make up all those games or what they're going to do. Um, COVID's throwing a curveball in. I take my hat off to the NHL to try to put some kind of season together. It's not easy. There's a lot of people out there that just love their hockey and uh, they don't care if it's a shortened season or they've got to reclassify the divisions based on geography. They want to watch hockey. And so... It's gotten pretty difficult. When you look at the Vancouver Canucks just in the last three weeks, they've uh, 20 players came down with COVID. 20 players, not a couple. The whole hockey team, the trainers, coaches, that just decimated them. So the teams that were supposed to play them, they've got to be rescheduled. And uh, it surprises me after some of the guys – most of the guys on the Canucks hadn't skated for two weeks because of the COVID. And uh, next thing you know, their first game back, they're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I thought, boy, Toronto's it's going to be a cakewalk for them. And uh, Vancouver actually beat Toronto, and they beat them two out of two the last two games they played them. So it's interesting, the game of hockey, even though Toronto and Edmonton are two powerhouses in the Canadian division, there's always teams that aren't as good but can beat powerhouse teams. And Toronto, I think Vancouver's the team that uh, 
you know, has got your number, although I don't believe they're going to make the playoffs, so I don't think you're going to have to see him in the playoffs. But, you know, again, hats off to the NHL for even trying to put a season together. And you've been receiving a few emails from people saying that it looks like the Canadians and the Maple Leafs will be meeting in the first round of the playoffs. And they haven't met since uh, you played and you scored your your big goal in double overtime? Correct. So do you have any thoughts on, I guess, how many years would that have been? 30? More? <laughs> Probably Boy, more. I'm 40. getting old. I'm getting old. Boy, I don't even want to think yeah, about how long Quite a while they haven't met in the playoffs. So do you have any thoughts? And do you think this is like an asterisk season where – uh, it doesn't really count after 40 years if it, if they're just playing Canadian teams anyways. I, I do believe, at least with the fans, I can't speak for the players on Toronto or Montreal. I do know when I played and, and the hockey players before my time that played on Montreal and Toronto, there was always a big rivalry between the two. And I don't know if it was because Montreal is a French club and Toronto is an English club and each always wanted to do to do the best they could against each other and like I'm not sure but there was maybe because when there were six teams they were the only two Canadian teams and they wanted to be you know ranked number one in Canada and these were the only two teams that they got to watch when I was a kid and so I think the, the rivalry developed way back when and when I played with the Canadians and we played Toronto Maple Leafs it was always, we got to beat them. We just have to. It's tradition. So I, I think with the fans, it's still the same thing. When Toronto and Montreal play each other, the Canadians, they, the Canadians fans, they look forward to uh, watching those games. So I think there is still a rivalry there for sure. And before we get into some of your teammates that passed away, you have uh, a few emails. I'm going to read one just because it's unique, because he's... A 21-year-old fan. So uh, if you have any feedback, if you have any episode ideas, topics, questions, uh, send an email at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. My dad always says, we'll talk about it if you, if you ask us. So we need your help for episode ideas. And we'll also answer some questions. So this says, Hi, I'm Mikey and I'm 21 years old. I just wanted to let you know that I think you are a great, hardworking hockey player. I like how you always gave 110% effort each game and practice and training sessions. I'm not sure how he knows that, but I guess just uh, hearing you talk about it, he's, yeah, I must he's have connected been from, the dots. Yeah, I, I must be talking about myself. <laughs> uh, because of that, you proved to everybody that you had lots of talent and skill in the sport of hockey. In result of this, you have earned yourself a great hockey career to cherish forever. So that was from Mikey, and he asked for an autographed picture, so we'll get that out to you. Um, but I just wanted to, to read that to you, Dad. So we're going to talk... Thank you, Mike. We're going to talk a little bit about a few of the teammates that have passed away. That we'll start with uh, Mark Pavlich, who um, died of suicide, I think about a month ago now. And you played with him on the New York Rangers. And if I'm not mistaken, he won a gold medal at the Olympics. Uh, so what are your memories on Mark Pavlich? Well, when I think of Mark Pavlich, the things that pop into my head is Mark, I'm going to say he was about five foot eight, so he wasn't a big hockey player. 
But usually when you're not a big hockey player, you can skate. You have to, especially back in the era that I played in. Um, it was, in my opinion, not only a little bit much rougher back in my day. There wasn't too many things you couldn't do in the NHL uh, back there. From hitting from behind, cross-checking in front of the net, even if you didn't have the puck, goalies with two hands you over the ankle with their hockey sticks. And so Mark, you know, he went into the corners. He took his fair share of hits. Um, he showed up every night, and I admire him for it. And uh, Mark, I've always said he he could he could turn left, turn right. His speed was really good. Um, he was like a little water bug. If you ever gone to a pond and you see these bugs that are, that I'll call them skate on the surface of the water, that was Mark. He he was like a water bug out there. Even more so, I don't necessarily mm, respect somebody just because they're a good hockey player. It's what's inside. And, you know, when you hang with someone for quite a long time, you get to know what they're all about. And Mark Pavlich, unfortunately, from what I read, in his later years in life, he, there, there was some problems that he had mentally. And I don't know what brought him on. I don't know if it was something hereditary or he got a lot of concussions over his days. I just don't know. But he he was somebody that uh, I read where he'd show up in court and he was just ignorant and mouthy. And, and that's not the Mark Pavlich that I knew. Mark was quiet. He was humble. And I've talked before about it. I think it was he scored three or four goals in one game in Madison Square Gardens for the Rangers. You know, you see people that score the goals quite often, not always, but quite often, you know, they're waving and they're liking the applause. And Mark, he didn't care if he was the center of attraction. He'd score his third or fourth goal. He'd just go sit on the bench just like he's ready for the next shift. You know, the fans would be throwing the hats for the hat trick onto the ice and there's a big delay while they pick up the hats and he's just sat there. He wouldn't get up. He didn't want the attention and the fellow players on the bench would say, Mark, come on. So Mark would get up and give a wave, then he'd sit right back down. And with all his ability, he was a very modest man. And that's that's one of the reasons that I admired the man. And the one episode that I that comes to mind when I think about Mark was when he got that three or four goals. Madison Square Gardens has their own television station inside, and they broadcast all the games on the MSG station. And so they would interview the stars of the game or somebody, and they would give you a stereo set. And the speakers were huge speakers, powerful speakers. And uh, they give you stereo equipment, top-notch. And I think the value was somewhere between 1000 1500 bucks. Now it's 30 years ago, right? 35 years ago. Like they were pretty, It was pretty impressive. And everybody hoped they got interviewed just to get that. And so after they come up to Mark after his three or four goal performance, and he said, Mark, first star, we want to interview you in an MSG. He said, no, um, no, thank you. And uh, they said, oh, no, Mark, you're going to get a stereo set. And we'll need to say, oh, no, thank you. And so he just walked away into the dressing room. And I told the producer, I said, I know Mark. Stereo equipment doesn't mean anything to him but offer him a new graphite fishing rod and watch what happens. So they went over and they tried again and they said, you know, Mark, we give you this fishing equipment, a graphite fishing rod. He goes, oh, I'll do that. So he went on the air because he just loved it, as I do. 
loved his fishing. So when I think about Mark, again, I, I didn't know him when he had his problems and treating people the way I read he treated them. But I, I love the man. I think he was a great human being when I knew him. And uh, it's unfortunate that he ended up having problems in life and that he ended up taking his own life. And some people were saying it could be related to concussions. And so you have a, a question from Doug uh, on Facebook. And he writes that he's from New Jersey and he's 60, 60 years old. And he writes, why are players today who know all about concussions more willing to dole out headshots than they were back in the day? Are there no more unwritten rules? So do you do you agree with this, first of all, and do you have an opinion? You know, I have an opinion, and, and because I have the opinion, I'm not saying I'm always right with my observations, you know. Everybody's allowed opinions, right or wrong. And, you know, Doug, I got to, we didn't wear helmets for the most part, you know. It, it started off with most players didn't wear helmets, and gradually they started realizing you got to protect that brain. So more and more people started wearing helmets. But uh, we had lots of headshots. I know myself, if I could hit you, because I, I played a lot of football growing up, contact football. If you hit them on the high upper body, they would go down quite a bit easier than, you know, I mean, you could tackle somebody in the midsection playing soccer. But, I mean, if you could, you could clothesline guys playing soccer and down they go. So I know myself. I didn't try to headshot, but I know I got people in the head and the face with, you know, shoulders. Like, they were on the other team, and I, and I can't speak for anybody else, but I kind of lived by the sword and died by the sword. So I would put my shoulder into you, and wherever it ended up, I mean, I didn't necessarily try to get you in the face, but sometimes there's that height difference, or at the last second somebody moves, and maybe if I was trying to get you in the chest, I got you in the face. I don't think we tried to, there was no, well, I respect the other player, so I'm not going to hit high. We tried to hit you, I guarantee you, a lot of people. I don't think you, you heard about it because we never used the word concussions. And so when the headshots, I've got my bell rung a few times where I saw double vision, you know. Um, if there's triple vision, I think I saw triple vision. But, you know, we didn't miss the shift. And uh, maybe I'll pay a price at some point. Maybe I won't. But I think with today, they're just much more aware of when you hit high, the problems are the headshots, the concussions. Um, so they're just more aware of it. And and I hate to say it, and it's not in my mind. I don't like it. I when I look at professional soccer, man, you do a little something. You go to stick your leg out pretty minor stuff and all of a sudden the soccer players are rolling around the pitch and they're just like you shot them with a bazooka and you go holy cow and then they show the replay nothing even happened to the guy and you just you don't do that and I can see now because in the NHL the players make a lot of money and they don't want to have the players sitting out with the kind of salaries they're paying them they don't want anybody hurt and so they brought in all these rules over the last 10 years, 15 years that protect the players, which that's fine. But I don't like it when somebody does something and it's pretty minor and you see somebody on the ice and you can see the replays that they didn't get hurt. They're faking it because they know they can draw a penalty. 
and I hope, I hope they don't start being like those soccer players that uh, they, they, they do a lot of diving. I've, I've seen diving. Um, so I don't think Doug, I don't, and again, this is just my opinion. I don't think that we had more respect back in the day. Like, guys ran me from behind into the boards like Terry O'Reilly. He hit me so hard one night in Boston, and he knocked the wind right out of me. I didn't lay down on the ice. I, you know, I had the puck there, and we froze it, and I skated off the ice, but I couldn't even breathe. But I wasn't letting him know that he hurt me. And I got on our bench, and I still couldn't breathe, and I had to kind of buckle over and try to get my breath. But I think it was just a different mindset back in our day. We played for keeps, and today you can't do anything without getting a suspension. When I played junior hockey, I got kicked out of the game, um, me and another guy, and I was pissed. I really was. So we got kicked out of the game. The game continued. I walked over with my equipment on, with my skates on, into the other player's dressing room, and I beat him up in the other team's dressing room. And I got a two-game suspension for that. And we all know, I mean, that was crazy of me to do, but I did it. But we all know today, you do something like that, you got a 20, 30-game suspension automatic. Like, the rules just have changed, and um, you won't see that kind of hockey anymore. So... I guess the headshots are what they are. The boys are bigger and stronger, and maybe that's why, you know, they're getting hurt more. I, I just don't know the reason, but uh, I wouldn't say that there's more respect back in the old day, Doug. So I'm going to add a name in that is not one of your teammates, but the father of one of your teammates. Did you ever get to interact or meet with Walter Gretzky, and do you have any, uh, I guess, stories or memories about him? When uh, I was 25, I played with the Edmonton Oilers. Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Kevin Lowe were all 18. And, you know, I personally never thought that they were going to have the kind of career that they did. All three of those guys, they were buddies. They were the same age. They hung around. I just didn't see them at 18 becoming superstars, although Wayne his first year scored 136 points. He tied Marcel Dion for the league scoring championships. And I think they gave Marcel Dion the title because he scored more goals. So Walter would fly down from Ontario and he'd be in our dressing room when Wayne was 18. He was always a happy gentleman and a smiley and he was approachable and easy to talk to. And so, you know, he isn't anybody, like he's not on an ego trip to say, look, Look at what I produce in Wayne. You know, he did his best to teach Wayne not only the game of hockey, but life skills and how to treat other people. And so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so Walter, he was kind of just like Wayne, or Wayne's just like Walter, a very good person to all. And as I've said many times before, when I'm, and I use the word judge somebody, you don't know him, you're wondering, you know, what's that guy all about? I tend to look at how they treat people that can't do anything for you. And I've seen many people in life, whether it's, you know, working for a living nine to five or playing hockey, how, you know, just the average guy walking past somebody that opens the door for you, they just expect it. They don't, they're not polite. Walter was somebody who, even if you couldn't do anything for him or you weren't anybody, you weren't in the orders management. He treated everybody with respect, 
Wayne learned from his father. I got to talk to Walter, not in-depth conversation, but I do admire the man for the way Wayne turned out as a person. Okay, and so we have a, another teammate that passed away, and you actually wrote a, a quick story uh, about him on Twitter, but you said it was a little bit hard to explain on Twitter, so you'd bring, in, bring it up on the next episode of the podcast, and that's Bobby Schmutz. Is that how you say his last name? Yes. And uh, so he, you played with him uh, with the Edmonton Oilers, right? Correct. Yeah. And so Bobby used to play many years with uh, the Boston Bruins. That's kind of where I remembered him from. And uh, Bobby was, he was not very tall, 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, um, but he played in the era when it was very rough hockey in the 70s. Like it was rough hockey's. And I think he was about, oof, I'm going to guesstimate, around 9, 10 years older than myself when I played with him. He had a, a lot of confidence. He treated everybody well. He had a lot of experience, which he was always willing to share with anybody that asked him about positioning in hockey or what do you think about this or that. And he was a very likable person. In our era, I told you about, it was rough hockey, and I do believe it was much, not even a little bit, but much rougher when we played the game, you know, in the 70s and the 80s than it is today. Even though the players today are bigger and better than we are, it's like Bobby Orr said. He said, you know, these guys are bigger and, and they're better and they're richer than we are. He said, but, you know, and they treat the game of hockey like a business. We didn't treat it so much as a business. I mean, maybe some people did. But the, the hockey, it's like Bobby said, we had a lot more fun, though. So Bobby Smots comes from that era where you play hard on the ice and you play hard off the ice. And we were in Winnipeg one time. We'd played the Jets. And if you know anything about Winnipeg or you come from Winnipeg, the main streets in Winnipeg are Portage Avenue and Main Street. They kind of intersect. And right where they intersect, there's a, a, a nice hotel, which is where the Oilers stayed. And I'm going to say it's like 20 stories up there, 25. It was quite, a, quite high. And um, so the game was over. We went back and a bunch of us went into Smotsy's room and he had some beer and we were drinking beer. And uh, so maybe, I don't know, an hour went by after the game and we were in Smotsy's room. And then Smotsy starts taking his clothes off in the room and he's down into his underwear. And he walks over to this lamp and he pulls off the lampshade and he puts it on his head. We said, what are you doing, Smotsy? He says, just watch out the window. So we're up, I don't know, we're on the 15th, 18th floor. And so he leaves the room and we look and he goes to the elevator. The elevator comes, he jumps in it. So he obviously went down to the main lobby, walked through the lobby in his underwear with a lampshade on his head. And this was winter. And we're watching out the window, and he comes out of the main doors, you know, from the lobby. And uh, there he is in the winter at his bare feet, underwear, a lampshade on his head. He casually walks to the middle of Portage and Main. And he stood in the middle of the road. There wasn't a lot of traffic then. And he turned around and he waved up to us up in the 15th, 18th floor, and he waved to the boys. And, of course... We just laughed. We said, what is Smotsy doing with a lampshade on his head? And he walked through the lobby like that. So, you know, we got a kick out of it. And uh, 
that's something that just pops in my head when I think of Bobby Schmatz. He was a hardworking guy and a fun-loving guy, and he wasn't afraid to do something out of the ordinary for a laugh. He didn't harm anybody. He was just uh, made the rest of us laugh. So when I think of Bobby, he was a good man, and uh, he was a lot of fun. And if you think about if that happened today, that video would be all over social media. You can't get away with that today. So uh, I guess you guys are lucky it was the 70s and the 80s. That's, you took the words out of my mouth. You know, the stuff that we, meaning all us guys, most of us guys, there was a bunch of guys who, you know, just did the proper thing all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there was a lot of us that uh, never hurt anybody else. But we pushed things as far as we could push them. I know... If there was, you know, everybody with their, with their cell phones with cameras on them, um, we would have had to dial it back quite a bit because you don't think anybody's watching. And next thing you know, as you say, Chris, it's on social media everywhere. And so we couldn't have did what we did if they had the phones and the cameras back in the day. So we're at the 30-minute mark. You had one more person that you wanted to talk about. And... Uh, it's actually an interesting story with him because you kind of reconnected because of the podcast. So why don't we hold that off until the next episode where you will also talk about your thoughts on the Roddy Piper documentary, which again airs on Sunday, April 25th. 5th. So if anyone watches it, we'd love to hear what your thoughts were. Yes. You can send dad a tweet at camconnornhl, send us an email, viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. Dad's also on Cameo. If anyone wants uh, a quick message of encouragement or sharing a story, I think you like to do that more than the podcast itself because it's quick and you get to tell a, a quick story and you're done. But um, yeah. yeah, so thanks everyone. And until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam, and thank you very much. Thank you.